Welcome to Horse to Culture, a digital salon hosted by the Known World Courtesans, where we bring you conversations with interesting gentles around the world. The Known World Courtesans are a free confederation of reenactors who've chosen a pre-1600 sex worker as our persona, along with the patrons, bodyguards, and entourage that may accompany us. As courtesans, we educate about historical sex workers and stand in solidarity with modern sex workers against sexism, misogyny, whorephobia, homophobia, transphobia, racism, classism, and all other forms of discrimination. Learn more about our group by visiting knownworldcourtesans.org. Today, we're doing a special sort of episode where it's just me, uh, Domina Lucretia Lepida, but all of my friends call me Lepida. And you're going to have uh, the pleasure of a a little bit of a um, introduction to what it means to be a courtesan. This is based off of the Courtesans 101 class that we teach um, as members of the Known World Courtesans. And it is based off of a handout that was written by Baronessa Ginevra Fiametta di Silvestri. And we're just going to go through some of the basic aspects of portraying a courtesan in the SEA. Uh, we're not going to delve deep into any historical things. Uh, this is just a basic courtesan persona 101 sort of introduction to that thing that we're always talking about so much in our salons here. So the first question really to ask ourselves is what is an SCA courtesan? Historically, courtesans were sex workers. So they were people who uh, gave sexual favors or performed some sort of social or sexual task in return for money or support. Um, that is lots of different people. Um, sometimes we actually struggle with things like concubines and uh, mistresses, kept mistresses, and whether or not to include them in our definition of sex workers. And usually we err on the side of the most inclusive definition possible. Um, But what does it mean to actually portray a sex worker in a modern SCA context? Well, it's a lot about hospitality. Um, We host salons, like this digital salon that you're listening to right now. But we also uh, do a lot of hosting of hosting and serving type duties, um, entertaining people uh, while they're waiting at a vigil or entertaining people while they're waiting for court to begin, uh, things like that. Um, It really depends on how motivated your local royals or cornets are to get the courtesans involved or how motivated you are as courtesans to make things start happening. Um, Salons are really like our bread and butter though. Um, So hosting events um, where you just, all you need is a nice space, make it comfortable. Uh, If you can decorate it to fit the ambiance of our um, period events, have some refreshments, drinks, and some simple snacks. And usually a game or something is really nice. You can have musicians in a box if you can find some place to hide the box. Um, or you can just invite uh, musicians to come by and just uh, practice. And honestly, it raises the entire feeling a lot to have just a little bit of all those things. You don't have to have 
any of them a lot. If you have a little of each, it really is amazing how much it transforms. And then you just have to be in the space and invite people to come and join you and um, entertain them. Be delightful. Be your amazing, awesome, wonderful self that you are, which you definitely are because courtesans are awesome. Uh, so we have the hospitality aspect, service aspect, but we also are very strong in the arts. Um, that's something that's very important. Um, a lot because, um, having a courtesan persona is a very persona intensive, um, way to pursue your SCA life. Um, if you're thinking about how to be a courtesan, you need to know about what kind of money you're asking for, what kind of underwear you're wearing, what sort of hairstyle do you have? How did you get it in that hairstyle without hair ties or bobby pins? So there's a lot of little things that other people might not really consider so much that, uh, that we as courtesans really do take the time to delve into. Um, other things also like menstruation and birth control and STD prevention, um, medieval medicine and aphrodisiacs. So all kinds of stuff um, that can be delved into. Uh, and we're really big in the arts and supporting that. Um, and a lot of times a courtesan will have a particular art or skill and her patron will support her, or I'm sorry, their patron will support them in really, uh, taking that to the next level or just having more time or resources to devote to that. Um, we also support fighters. Um, where I live in Trimeris, it's especially important. We do um, what we call hydrocortisoning, um, where we make sure to hydrate all of our fighters. Um, and it's something that is really important. We also um, can make excellent consorts if a fighter is looking for someone to inspire him. Uh, we can do that for a short contract or a long contract at our patron's desire. Um, so, and it's important to think about something with fighters. The fighters out aren't on the field actually killing each other. They're out there with their friends. They're having fun. They're playing a game. We are not actually having sex for money as members as members of the known world courtesans. So, um, you know, we're not encouraging our fighters to break the law and commit acts of murder. Well, we're not encouraging our courtesans to break the law and commit illegal acts either. Um, we are... Um, educating, representing, and teaching about whore phobia. And we can't do that if we're not free to do that. So um, members of the known world courtesans um, may wear red veils or golden hearts, which are also called golden stags. Our official heraldry, heraldry is a red shield with a golden heart on it with one of its four legs raised, and then a golden border around the outside of the shield or whatever the red field is. Um, so you can identify us with those things. Um, our Tulians also have their own, um, they're a adjacent society. They are doing their own thing. Um, and I, I think they might have a badge, but I think it might have been purposely made to offend uh, the heralds. So when you're getting started, most people want to start with a name, but actually there's sort of a step before that that's sort of included with the name. And that's asking yourself if you want this to be your number one persona, your primary persona you spend most of your time in, or if you want it to be sort of your backup persona, your nighttime persona. Um, 
For me, my personas are based on weather and my cortisone persona is my hot weather persona. So uh, since I live in Trimeris, which is Florida, I spend most of my time as my cortisone persona. So she is effectively my primary persona, but uh, that's not by, it's, it's, not so much a purposeful choice as a weather choice. I, I choose my personas for comfort. Um, so after you know um, what your goals are for your persona choice, then you can move on to choosing a name. Um, and the thing about names that is rough is that to have a name, you have to have a time period, you have to have a culture, and you have to have a gender. Um, you sometimes even need to have a little bit more of your story figured out. Like if you want to have a by name that tells what your job is um, or describes something about you, then you need to know those things about your persona so you can put them in the name. Um, but the SCA does provide a lot of amazing, well-researched name articles in our heraldry section of our website, which um, I will list in the show notes. Um, and if all of the things you find there are I believe automatically passable. So if you find an article there and you construct a name based off of the instructions that it gives you in that article, then that name, as long as it doesn't conflict with anyone else, the name should be able to be yours. No must, no fuss. Um, and that's just really the best place to start if you're looking for a name. Don't start with your favorite fantasy novel or historical fiction novel. I'm sure it's wonderful. I'm sure it's a really lovely story. But whether or not the person who wrote it researched it to the same level that we now require in the SCA, that is a toss up. And I would, I really hate to break people's hearts when they come in with a made up name or an expressly modern name um, from a book that they've really fallen in love with or a TV show or a movie. So start with the lists, you know, um, and remember that spelling of names isn't standardized. Spelling of anything is standardized until after the end of our time period. So if you want a U where there's an O or something like that, that is something that no one is going to fight you about. Um, so then is research. And like I said, it's all kind of wrapped up in the name. Um, although you could just start looking through those name articles and, and, and go with the culture and time period and gender that really has the name that you like. Uh, that seems like as legitimate of a way to choose as any other thing. Um, but one thing that makes researching for a, a sex worker persona you know, just very convenient is that there are always sex workers. Uh, there, there's not a culture I can think of at any point in history that has ever existed without sex workers of some kind. So your first real task research-wise um, is to dig in and find out what sort of sex workers were uh, around at the time um, and place that you're trying to portray. Um, Gender may be a limiting factor, um, but you may be able to use that portray, you know, doing the best version of things and make it work for you. Um, and even if you find that the only sex workers at that time were enslaved or um, in some other very not okay situation, remember, we create history as it should have been or in the best possible way, which yes, would mean no slavery. But if we're going with this, then that means, you know, if you're asleep, you're in the best possible situation that you could have. Like you're, oh, you have that indulgent slave master. So basically the way that 
slave masters, right? Slave masters. Um, but you, as, as the person who's being the slave, you have the ability to choose how you want to portray that. Now, you need to educate yourself about the harsh realities that actually went on so that you can say, you know, I'm, I have the best master. All the other slaves I meet when I go to market are so, you know, just maltreated by their master. But my master, he taught me to read and he clothes me well. And he, he actually keeps a bank account for me. So I, I actually have spending cash and I get days off. He's so rich. He has so many slaves. I get days off. You know, um, you you get to make it work however you want to make it work for you. Um, so you find out what sorts of sex workers were plying their trade in the time period and the place that you've chosen. Then you can choose if there are multiple kinds, you can choose which one you are interested in portraying. A lot of people sort of gravitate towards the sort of what we call rock star courtesans. Um, and these are the ones who really get the attention uh, from historians and from historical people uh, because they were very flashy. Um, they drew a lot of attention to themselves and they very much lived outside society's norms, but still were able to achieve um, some fame and success, which is very um, odd. And and I think a lot of the reason that these particular sex workers have caught the attention of historians is because the fact that they were engaged in so many activities outside of sex work makes it easier for for whorephobic historians to gloss over the fact that they were totally totally performing sexual acts for money. Uh, and we're not about that here. We're not about that in the normal courtesans. We're about calling it like it is. Uh, but that is that is a factor. And I think one of the reasons why uh, the rock star courtesan is so favored in historical sort of literature, um, not historical literature, but literature by historians. There we go. Uh, so there are a lot of other uh, sex workers out there. There's courtiers, which are similar to your rock star courtesans, but are not quite the same. Um, there's the sort of middle class uh, woman with a career path. Um, because in many of these historical societies that we're looking at, these are not stigmatized jobs. They're, they're legitimate jobs that people can have. And that, I mean, that's gotta be one of the main things you have to get over when you're approaching these personas is you, if you live with modern stigma, you will never be able to feel any kind of, um, pride in, in your persona story. Like you, you will never be able to be an empowered person. And I really encourage you to think of it in those terms. Like even if your persona is someone who has ended up where they're at, not through their own choice, I think you should, as part of that doing history as it was, find a way to, to have them in their strength, find a way to have them empowered, find a way to have them be owning whatever it is they're doing now that you're portraying them doing it. Also, it's going to be more fun for you to portray. Um, but I think that's something important. Uh, and if you, you know, if you're not, if you're not doing that, I think you're, you're making the stigma your persona instead of being a persona and saying, fuck the stigma. So fuck the stigma. Um, you know, don't, don't, be blinded by the romanticization of these quote unquote higher end sex workers 
which is a bullshit way to refer to them. And I'm always trying really hard not to use it, but that's just, it's the language that, that these things are talked about in the language that if you read, um, you know, academic works about it, the language that's used. Uh, so there are entrepreneurial women, um, sort of middle-class women, uh, and they're like, you know, your bakers and your brewers and your seamstresses, except for their they're sex workers. Um, you also have um, like lower end women working out of bars and things like that, men and women working out of bars. So, you know, look at all the different types of sex workers that were available. I, there are professional beards or, you know, the converse gender wise. There are prostitutes who specifically only give blowjobs, you know, dig in, have fun. There's a lot of variety. Um, find, find what seems fun for you to play. Um, and then after you've made that choice, then you can start to zero in on a lot of those art side details I was talking about before, like underwear and hair and clothes and perfume and, um, furniture and decorations and music and song and dance and poetry and follow down whatever rabbit holes interest you because you will find a way to share those. There's, there's no way to have a passion and follow it and not find a way to share it um, with other people. Okay. So how do you, now that you have this character, how do you get into character before you go on a date or to an event or um, to escort your patron? What, how do you, how do you get ready to do that? So firstly, plan ahead so that you have plenty of time because rushing around is not going to make you feel sexy or friendly or happy. Uh, so make sure you have everything planned out so that when you get to the time of, you don't have to be rushing around. Things are just good to go. Um, obviously you want to be clean and neat as much as possible. Um, we all get a little grody when we get out to war, but you, that's another thing you can plan ahead for. Bring baby wipes, bring plenty of changes of clothes, um, maybe bring a small basin so you can like wash a pair of socks halfway through the week or wash your veil if it falls in someone's beer, something like that. That literally has happened to me. So I, I usually do bring a small base, basin um, so I can wash my veil midweek if I need to, even a couple times because, you know, things happen when you're out having fun. Um, so brush your teeth, um, fix your hair up if you can, put on some makeup if you're so inclined. Um, but just generally try to make sure you're neat. If that means you go to the bathroom and you splash water in your face and you, you know, kind of straighten up your, your eyebrows and, and, and smooth out your hair and that's it, then that's it. But, you know, make sure you look nice, make sure you look neat. Um, have comfortable garb that's attractive, but comfortable because you're going to want to focus on your patron. You're going to want to focus on talking to other people, educating. You're going to want to focus on being your persona. So, you know, make sure that you can do that without having to be too caught up in your clothing. Now, historical people, how did they do it? Um, they just dealt with it, but they weren't pretending to be other people. So, well, I mean, they might've been, but, uh, that's a whole other, that's a whole other subject. Um, they, they had also, um, especially 
rich folks had all kinds of servants or slaves to attend on them, make sure their clothes were always looking good and fitting right and staying in place. So we don't have those things. Um, you know, use safety pins, use, use dress tape, um, use whatever you need so that your garb is comfortable and you don't have to worry about it. Same with makeup, everything like that. I like a nice setting spray because then I don't have to worry. Um, I know my face is going to be the way I left it when I last looked in the mirror. Um, it's a, it's a good idea to have some spare accessories or nice things that you picked out really kind of match your style. Um, belts, uh, pins, necklaces, earrings, all kinds of things. Um, you can use them in all kinds of different ways. YouTube can give you ideas on that, you know, um, how to use a bracelet and a bun or something like that. Um, but those accessories, you can change everything. You really make even something really plain look nice and elegant with just like one simple, nice piece of jewelry. Um, so in the interest of planning ahead, making sure you're not going to be running around, make sure you packed everything, go through your schedule, make sure you've got everything you need for all of the things in your schedule. Make sure you pack them in the car, make a checklist, pack them off the checklist or uh, mark them off the checklist while you're, you're getting packed. Um, you know, those are the things that really matter and you're going to, you're going to be running around crazy and not enjoying yourself if you forget them. So it's worth doing. And then you've got to remember other things like eat, stay hydrated the whole event. Otherwise you'll be crappy by the time you get to the night, you're going to go out with your patron. So take care of yourself. Um, Self-care is adulting. Uh, and then before you go to meet someone, just take some time for yourself. Do whatever it is that helps you relax and feel fucking fantastic about yourself and life and everything that is amazing in your world. Um, and then, um, Make sure to take a glance in the mirror and tell yourself you're awesome because you are and head out. Our next point of discussion is body language. And I'm going to quote directly from the handout that inspired and sort of informs this entire uh, salon today. Uh, Bar because Baronessa Ginevra just says it too perfectly not to quote. Uh, portraying a courtesan is all about selling an illusion that you're the most desirable person a prospective patron has ever met and that they should feel flattered you've consented to share your time with them. That is the best possible little nutshell description of what you need to be trying to think when you're getting into persona. And this is just a really awesome and important thing um, because you are the most desirable person because you're you. Now, you're not going to be the most desirable person to everyone in the world. That's just life. But you know what? There is someone out there who loves and wants you just the way you are. Imperfections, flaws, everything. I guarantee. So we all need a little bit more of that sort of energy in our lives. Um, and research has literally shown that faking it till you make it is a real thing. So when people talk about how just spending time being a courtesan persona has changed their lives. 
that's not an understatement because it really can. It can help you understand how much you're worth because the answer is more than you've ever fucking imagined every time. Okay, so side note aside. <laughs> um, you you want to get in the right mindset, but that can come as much from being in the right body set, body position as anything else. Um, so this is where a mirror can come in really helpful. Um, you can practice facial expressions. You can practice uh, different ways of holding your arms. Uh, or as my one of my acting professors in college liked to refer to them, those things attached to those sticks you call your arms. Um, this is where a little bit of background in dance can come in really handy just for helping you be a little bit more graceful. But if you don't have that background in dance, look up some YouTube videos with um, ballet dancers or Indian dancers. Um, people in dance forms where they're highly expressive and they're using gesture even all the way into their fingertips. Um, some really expressive belly dance forms, I think, also sort of embody that. Um, and that can give you a lot of good ideas about just general ways to hold your hands. Practice those. Practice those in a mirror. Practice different full body positions as well. Um, it's something that's really important when we do theatrical acting training to teach people to be expressive with their entire body, which is at once incredibly natural and incredibly unnatural. So what's natural about it is to express yourself with your entire body honestly. Um, that's why reading people's body language can be incredibly um, illuminating about what's going on. Um, but And this is the trick to reading body language. You have to make sure that you're reading their unconscious body language or that you're reading it separately from conscious body language, which is portraying possibly something very different um, than what they're, um, what they're perhaps really feeling inside um, or on some deeper level. So think about if you're, you know, making sure to uh, have an open facial expression and expressiveness. You're talking to people, you're um, engaging, but your arms or your legs are very tightly crossed. That can send um, a really mixed message to people. And mixed messages are not more off-putting than a... Um, sort of closed off, shut down vibe, uh, but they're more confusing and confusion leads to anger um, more than anything else. So it's, it's an important thing to practice to keep in mind for when you want to set people at ease and when you want to be um, de-escalating situations, which are useful skills to have as well. Um, so Practice in the mirror, face, head, neck, shoulders, torso, arms, hands, hips, legs, even foot position, sitting, standing, all those things. I also really, really, really suggest stealing 
good ideas from other people who are professionals, aka from movies, TV shows, or plays if you have a chance to go and see them. So uh, these, I encourage you to look at these characters and ignore their gender, but I, I'm going to make sure to list some male and female um, examples because I think that's really important. Um, but I, the reason I encourage you to look at these and not take gender and perhaps sort of ignore gender or consider gender flipping some of these ideas um, is that part of a courtesan's role throughout history has been crossing those boundaries of gender. Um, your rock star Venetian courtesans, they hosted parties as surrogate wives, but they also went out in public like men. And that was part of their special and unique um, position in the social hierarchy and access to life that was afforded them because of their position as courtesans. And that that's a theme that reoccurs throughout history. And part of why uh, these people's lives have been so hidden from us by historians and by academics and, and also by the people just choosing not to record it in the first place. So here are some suggestions um, that Baroness of Ginevra has. Atia uh, from HBO's Rome, of course, historical character, perfect to start with. Carmilla um, from, from Carmilla and almost any version of that. There's, you know, books, etc. Um, Anara Sarah, I think, is someone who has inspired a lot of courtesans and normal courtesans. All right. Jack Harkness from Doctor Who Torchwood is one of my personal inspirations um, because he is just phenomenal in every way. Uh, Oberon Martell from Game of Thrones. I hate Game of Thrones, but Oberon Martell is one of the best characters on it. Uh, and I think you could absolutely not go wrong. I would say Oberon is, is, is a strong influence for me as well. Um, even though he, he's portrayed for such a short amount of time on screen. Uh, Tony Stark from Marvel and Black Widow from Marvel are both excellent suggestions. If you, uh, love Marvel movies, comic book movies. I, I absolutely agree. I, I, Black Widow is my favorite. I don't necessarily see her so much as courtesan inspiration for myself, but uh, I, I, I feel like she's just life inspiration for me. Um, Luc Lucrezia Borgia from the Borgias, um, specifically later in the series, uh, and the Mord Sith from Legend of the Seeker. And <laughs> yeah, the Mord Sith. Um, I'm not even a huge Legend of the Seeker fan, but basically whenever I would be watching it over the shoulder of my partner, I would be like, hey, who are those guys? They're fantastic. And that that was the word set. Um, and also a good modern example for a female uh, sort of courtesan-like persona is Zoe Morgan for person of interest. Or, of course, James Bond. Let's not forget James Bond. <laughs> 
So to give us an outline of how to address sort of body language in a flirtatious context, I'm going to read from uh, People Watching, The Desmond Morris Guide to Body Language by Desmond Morris. Um, he is a <laughs> zoologist, um, but he, he explores humans as animals, and I very much enjoy his descriptions of human behavior for their just absolute unvarnished... Um, capacity for scientific observation. Um, and the sexual sequence, the ascending scale of intimacy, or the sexual sequence as he, he labels it, um, is, is just something that I encountered at a young age and I've always thought was very interesting. Um, and it's also a good way for knowing when people are trying to pull something hinky because they will, they will skip outside of this very normal series of, of human behaviors that are basically um, human nature. Um, they are, you're going to notice they transcend um, sexual identity. They transcend gender identity. They're they're basically um, how we as is human primates interact with each other. Uh, so um, this is uh, from page 374 of the ebook edition on Google Books. <clears throat> the ascending scale of intimacy, the sexual sequence, varies from case to case, but a typical sequence is 1. Eye to body, the looking stage. 2. Eye to eye, the mutual gaze condition, catching the other's eye. 3. Voice to voice, the talking stage, an exchange of personal information and attitudes. 4. Hand to hand, the first touching stage. Um, and he describes some ways that this can be initiated um, without consent, but I, and, and, it, it, it is, and we do it, um, but I want to stress again that we we are all about consent culture, and unless you need to uh, for safety or something like that, you should not touch other people without consent, and especially if, since we're talking about a flirtatious, um, engaging, conversational sort of atmosphere, in that sort of atmosphere, you don't need to touch other people without consent, so uh, make sure that you have secured that before you move to this hand-to-hand -hand first touching stage. Um, but Desmond Morris does say it's often started with a disguise act of supporting aid, body protection, or directional guidance. This is why dancing, this is a Lepida aside here, um, but this is why dancing in a social context is a really big deal because it gives you that opportunity to have some mutual touching, um, basic hand-to-hand -hand touching and escalate to that level of the sexual sequence. Um, but within a socially accepted and directed sense. So you don't even have to ask, hey, can I hold your hand? Because you're, you could say, "Are we? would you like to dance with me? And people know hand-holding is going to be part of it. Um, and also in historical context, uh, you might not have been allowed to ask, but if your parents were like, here, you're going to be escorted at this dance by such and such person, uh, you would know that you would be getting to hold their hand and you'd be escalating to that level of relationship contact. Um, so it, it's often started with a disguised act of supporting aid, body protection, or directional guidance. The partner helps to take off or put on a coat, lingering a little too long in the process, or takes a hand to guide the other across the street or through a door. Um, five, arm to shoulder. The bodies come into slightly closer contact, again, after starting with the body guidance subterfuge, and we don't need to have the subterfuge, um, but... It, it is still a step along the way. Um, 
six arm to waist, a slightly more intimate action, bringing um, the hands nearer to the sexual regions. Um, and that's where I'm going to stop. <laughs> uh, there are many more phases in the sexual sequence, um, but they are not anything that we are necessarily going to be exploring as courtesans in a salon or as engaging people and our patrons. If you want to, that's up to you. I encourage you to check out more Desmond Morris. I think he is a very interesting um, take on human behavior. So body language is an important part of what you're doing. It's an important part of how you're portraying you're portraying that illusion of being the most desirable person your potential patron has ever met or your patron has ever met. And they are lucky just to spend some time with you because they are. In general, when you're trying to be impressive, you want to have good posture. So when you're in the mirror, practice good posture. If you're not quite sure what that is, look it up on YouTube. There's lots of posture things. Um, I particularly have done Alexandrian technique, um, which is a form of posture uh, sort of exercises that are done in theater, maybe in dance and other things. I specifically know them through theater. Um, but good posture is the same because it's about human bodies and how they're built. Um, there are um, one particular gripe of mine as a theater person is to um, stop moving your lower body around. Um, we have a, a very much a tick where we focus all of our our the conscious thought on how our upper body um, is behaving, and so our stress will come out a lot in our lower body, um, and that leads to shaky feet shuffling feet, um, rhythmic tapping, lots of things that are just absolutely drive me crazy. But uh, they're a very natural thing, but it, it's, a, it's a giveaway and it makes you seem very tense even if you're trying so hard not to. So um, give just spare, just spare one thought for your feet and try to keep yourself um, rooted, strong in place. Um, and, and, and concentrate on using your feet to ground yourself, even if you're sitting, because that will keep you from shuffling and moving around a lot more. Um, another thing that is sort of SCA specific that I really would like to cover a million times forever um, is that is bowing or curtsying in the SCA or in any context. Um, so, um, this is a thing that is, you know, you're not used to doing it normally. You're not used to doing it outside of a certain context, so you don't have any practice. And that's perfectly normal for everyone, but that also means that it's worth giving a little bit of extra time to. So when you're bowing or curtsying, you don't want to be looking at your feet. You don't want to be slouching. You don't want to have your arms like out. It looks really messy unless you're specifically being very presentational. Um, when you bend, it's better not to keep your knees forward. It just looks awkward and it can make you lock your knees and it looks very stiff and not natural. And also, even if you're lower, bending your knees to lower yourself, make sure you're not doing a full on squat. Even with the dress on covering your legs doing a squat, it doesn't actually look nice. So, um, we want to, we're going for something a little bit more refined. So instead of looking all the way at your feet, 
slightly incline your head. And if you really want to be demure or you really want to show deference, instead of lowering your head all the way, lower your gaze. Um, you can do a lot by lowering your gaze. If you want to be demure or seem shy, um, lower your gaze, not your face. Um, you always want to keep your chin up, your face up, but but you can lower your gaze and seem very demure. Um, men and women, everyone. Uh, so slightly inclined head, keep your back nice and straight, keep your arms close to your body. Like I said, unless you're trying to specifically be presentational, um, and then, you know, make sure you've given that a little bit of a practice. Uh, I've been doing performance since I was a kid and specifically been doing theater classes or training of some type since I was in sixth grade. And I still practice things uh, beforehand. I still practice things in the mirror. So that's, you know, that's not, it always helps with your confidence if you know you've done it before. And not only did you do it well, but you didn't, you know, explode or die or fall over or hurt yourself. You have it in the bag and you know that when you're doing it now, stressed in front of the populace and the king, you can just do it. You don't have to worry about doing it right. You've already done it right. You already know how to do it. So um, instead of keeping both your feet even, put one foot slightly behind the other. I noticed that I naturally put my dominant foot for, or backwards actually. So my non-dominant foot is forward. Um, but that just do what's comfortable. Um, and then when you bend, bend so your knees are just a little bit out, not too much so that you lose your balance or you look like you're squatting. Um, and you can actually lean back onto that back leg just a little bit because you don't actually want to bend over and lean forward. That's sort of a common misconception. Like with bowing, you can do more of it, more bending forward, but for a lady, especially in a later period dress, um, it's much better for you to lower your body while keeping your back straight and your um, your waist straight. Because then if you have one of those beautiful low cut dresses on, um, you're not giving an unseemly look at your bosom unless that's your goal. And you're also not risking popping out if you're especially generously built. Um, I will never have that problem, but there are other folks in the world who will. So uh, that's something to consider. It's also much more period to keep your body straight than to bend over much. The full bow, forward bow from the waist is um, more of a later period thing um, outside of our time period, uh, at least from most things, unless you're bowing to kings and stuff like that. So it's it's a lot better, it's, and it's more, it looks much more seemly. So start with seemly and then you can choose when you want to be unseemly. If you're unseemly all the time, it has no impact. <laughs> Another really important part of being polite and culture in the SCA is proper forms of address for people um, with different ranks and titles. So um, just some really basic things. Um, no one is going to be mad if you don't address them correctly. And if they are, they don't deserve whatever title they have that they're lording over you because that's not chivalrous. And that's the one thing that any title, um, any rank, no matter how lowly it is on the scale of rank, 
on the hierarchy, it still requires chivalrous behavior. Actually, be, like just membership in the SCA requires your agreement to behave in a chivalrous and courteous fashion. So um, if they're not behaving chivalrously and courteously, you should just remind them that um, they've already agreed to those things just by being a member of the SCA, let alone by having their title and tell them to shove it. Um, but some basic things so you can recognize, and I'm kind of going to try to work up the scale as far as um, from the like lower end of the hierarchy of titles and up to the top, um, kings and queens, obviously. So um, your most basic and most common is um, a simple lord or lady or noble. Um, that person will be called the lord and lady, um, fair noble, things like that, and they will wear a plain circlet um, that will usually be thin. Um, different kingdoms have different sumptuary laws or none looking at you, um, but uh, generally a thin unadorned circlet or plain circlet uh, is, is what a lord or lady or noble wears, the first rank of nobility. Above that is an honorable lord or lady, and they will have um, a single stone on their circlets. Um, it can be any color stone, circlet can be any color they want, same for um, lordly noble. Um, armager is another gender, gender neutral term we use, and so uh, you can be honorable lord, honorable lady, honorable noble, honorable armager, obviously, um, and they are, uh, those people are addressed as honorable lady, honorable lord, um, same as my lord, my lady, that kind of thing. Um, Above that, um, these are not the same kind of ranks. These are uh, words of recognition after um, service. Uh, you have uh, orders of recognition of excellence, like the knights, who you can tell because they have a large chain without any kind of adornment on it. They wear spurs, and they have white belts. The white belt is usually the most notable thing, but the chain is also pretty significant. Um, the, in fact, there's a song, um, Beloved, called Belt and Chain, and it's specifically about being a knight. A pelican will have a pelican on them in some way. Um, a pelican uh, probably plucking at its own breasts. They may also have drops of blood. Drops of blood generally go with the pelican heraldry and vibe. Um, it's about self-sacrifice, y'all. Um, and they are master or mistress. Um, and knights are sir or sir or sir, or if they tell you, dame, but you should call them sir unless they tell you not to call them sir. Uh, okay, so pelicans are mistress or master, or um, I'm not sure what a good gender neutral term there is. We're still figuring that one out. Um, certainly, everyone is allowed to have their own. Um, I know a maestra and a magistra, and it's very common for people to personalize to different cultures. Um, I'll actually have a link to different specific cultural specific titles that many people use. Um, and they're addressed, say, master, mistress, etc. Um, 
And then of course the Order of the Laurel, which is the arts recognition, and they will have laurel leaves. They may wear a crown of laurels, laurel leaves. They may simply wear laurel leaves um, on their clothing or in their jewelry. Um, but it's actually, you know, much like you can't wear a pelican if you're not a member of the Order of the Pelican. You can't wear a white belt no matter how much you love it if you're not a knight. Um, our, our society-wide rules agree that we all agree that we will not wear laurel leaves and we are not entitled to them. Um, and they're also called master and mistress and addressed as such. Next, we return to the um, ruling orders, the, uh, the barons and like, don't like to be called royals, but uh, they are all crowns, as in they all wear fancy metal hats and are in charge of administrative duties. So um, they all kind of fit the bill, regardless of whether or not they like to be referred to that way. Um, so baron and baronesses um, are usually in charge of uh, larger regional groups, uh, but they can also be unlanded barons and baronesses, court barons or corbears, or white trash barons and baronesses if you want to be funny and or vulgar. Uh, you are addressed, uh, you are, they are addressed as your excellency and you can tell them by their crowns with six points and a pearl upon each of those points or sometimes just six pearls uh, if they have more of a band going on. Um, but that that's the, that's the way you tell who your barons and baronesses are. So uh, I'm polite to all of them like they're in charge of a group because you never know which ones are the ones. Uh, and I honestly don't see a distinction. Um, court baronages are given out for hard work and dedication to the game. Um, and I think that that means that that person is putting in a level of work that even if they're not, you know, actually running for um, being a baron or baroness of an area that they're the sort of person who probably could pull it off. Uh, so it's not such a, um, a a little thing in either or you know in that case. Um, and I think they all deserve a degree of deference that is fair. So um, we have kings and kingdom uh, kingdoms, and we also have principalities. There we go. Working on talking tonight. Um, so when someone has been the prince or princess of a principality, they have achieved the highest level of royalty. And when they retire or um, in character get killed off, they still retain a rank um, from that, and that would be viscount or viscountess. Um, they're also addressed as your excellency and they have a crown with, or a, a pointy hat, as we like to call it, with more than six points or pearls. So six, baron, more, viscount, um, usually. When kings and queens in a kingdom retire and or are killed off at the end of their reign, um, they become a count or countess. They're also addressed as your excellency. Um, and they have a pointy hat that will have a crenellation or is called embattled um, like a castle top um, or like castle walls. So sort of the most stereotypical crown is one that we give to our counts and countesses. And those are people who have been king or queen once. People who have been king or queen more than once are dukes or duchesses upon their 
moving out of the position of king or queen. They are addressed as your grace, uh, and they wear clusters of three strawberry leaves. Um, we also have an informal sort of reference to people who have been king or queen more than twice, so three times or more, and we call them super dukes and super duchesses. Although we really mostly refer to the super duke angle um, because sexism and also because everything is focused around that that sword tournament fighting. Um, all right, so in a principality, um, the prince and princess are the ultimate rulers of the land. Um, and they are addressed as your highness. Um, their pointy hat will vary. It will be large and beautiful, and it will not conform to any of the rules for other levels of nobility. It will probably, hopefully, please, dear lord, crown makers, please put the insignia or heraldry of the kingdom it belongs to on there or the principality it belongs to on there because for the love of god the rest of us need it but um so you'll know them mostly by the fact that they don't conform how will you be able to tell the difference between the prince and princess crowns and the king and queen crowns and a kingdom Pfft. no idea you have to know them by comparison um they're the smaller ones see you have to know them by comparison but in a principality um that will be the top now in a kingdom um, you'll have a king and queen, and the prince and princess will be the heirs. Um, so they'll be the people who are going to take over at the next season. Um, and most kingdoms have crowns sit for six months, because it's a very expensive and time-consuming and draining job. And we don't want to kill people. We love these people. Um, so prince, princess, addressed as your highness. King and queen are addressed as your majesty, his majesty, her majesty, their majesties, the mages, if we're being very informal. Um, again, their crowns will vary. They will be large and impressive. Um, and uh, hopefully, as I said before, bearing the heraldry of their kingdoms. Otherwise, you're, you know, you you got to look at their clothes. They almost always will have some sort of kingdom insignia or, or uh, colors, heraldic colors displayed on their clothing. Um, our royals do try to pull off that looking like old-timey portraits with matching clothing and heraldry everywhere that we all do so love from our medieval illustrations. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to have part two of this uh, digital class next uh, on our next podcast episode in two weeks. So if you uh, want to listen to that, just make sure to follow, subscribe, whatever, on whichever service you found us on or whatever service you prefer. Uh, and if you just absolutely cannot wait, it will be coming out early for all of our patrons on Patreon. And you can find that at www.patreon.com slash words to culture. And you can watch it maybe right away. Thank you, lovelies, for joining us today for Horse Culture. We hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed sharing our salon with you. Make sure you always have a seat in our salon. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite service and give us a five-star rating. It only takes a moment and it helps other people find us. It also helps all of these different services show our podcast to other people. So please give us a hand. It only takes a second. We would be ever so grateful. Call us with society gossip or questions for your favorite 
Courtesans anytime at 4.40, 4Hors. We have some upcoming episodes on um, ethical non-monogamy, polyamory, um, and the historical context for those things, as well as stories of amazingly inspirational women before 1600 CE. So if you have anything you'd like to ask about those topics or anything you'd like to contribute on those topics for 44 whores, we'll be waiting to hear from you. Look for our website at knownworldcourtesans.org. That's K-N-O-W-N-E-W-O-R-L-D-C-O-U-R-T-E-S-A-N-S.org. Known with an E as in ye oldie English. You can follow the Known World Courtesans on Twitter at SCA Courtesans. We are on Instagram, Tumblr, Pinterest, and Facebook at as Known World Courtesans, that's with an E. Join us in our Facebook group where we plan every podcast. We absolutely love to chat. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can find us at facebook.com slash group slash W2C podcast. Facebook won't let us use the word whore in the URL, so we're W, the number two, C, podcast. We have a Twitter just for the podcast now, and you can find us at Horse to Culture. And our Facebook page, if you just like podcast updates, is facebook.com slash W2C podcast. You can also support us by becoming our patron on Patreon. Starting at just $1 a month, you can get rewards like voting on future salon themes, early access to episodes, videos of known world courtesan members in our historical clothing, and at the tippy top levels, you can have an entire episode dedicated to you. Looking at you, we're working on it. Every one of our salons is a labor of love, but with your help, we can get better recording equipment and basic recording equipment to more of our members so we can bring you more voices and more stories. Please help support marginalized voices in podcasting today. Become a patron at www.patreon.com slash horse to culture. To support modern sex workers worldwide, please visit the Red Umbrella Fund at redumbrellafund.org.